You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Podcast. This is episode number 158 of East Central Indiana's favorite podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I'm joined by just one guy. It's, there's, no, there's nothing else written here, Dakota. It's just you and me, buddy. Yep, it's just the two of us today. Today's episode features uh, just the two of us. It's like back in the old days whenever... We <laughs> I don't know if it was ever just the two past. of us. Was it just us ever? I think that we've had it. There were a couple of them back in the single-digit episodes, but <sighs> we, are, we are looking back to those days like two and a half years ago now. Uh, we will be talking about the evolution of this show, where it's at, some lessons that we learned along the way as we've been making the show. Then we are going to transition. We're going to talk about property taxes. Our property tax bill showed up in the mail today, and it just makes me heated every time that I see it. And then, of course, we will be talking about uh, the coronavirus, the COVID-19, the pandemic that is sweeping the world. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's some good news, but there's also news to talk about locally and how we have been impacted here in Henry County, Indiana, a very rural area part of our state um it is definitely it's definitely here it is definitely in full force and uh there's some interesting things that our local government has been doing because of it so make sure you stick around until the very end immediately i've already been disrailed by the chat room zach Burton wants to know which one of us is balky and you have no idea who balky is but if you did you would you i'm gonna you're balky in this conversation and that's a that's like a 1990s sitcom reference uh this show is about our lives in rural indiana we're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals sometimes we will provoke you other times we'll make you laugh but hopefully you'll always learn something new like who's balky all right gotta do some thank yous we uh we just did a nice 15 minute segment one of our best segments of all time in the zoom era uh, I think it's just because it's the two of us. I think it's know. just it's just natural. Which is me and you. It is uh, you know things that things flow easier. We aren't constantly being interrupted by Chase saying the f word and <laughs> being weird. So. We got we got your your confessions of your uh, of your barbering. So if you want to know where he got that fresh fade, you go join that Patreon at any level at all whatsoever. And you can uh, you can learn about that fresh fade Dakota has, and exactly how long it takes to achieve such a such a crisp crisp cut. Yeah, maybe it's shorter than it, what you think. Who it knows? might be as long as uh, any feature film. It's it's almost as long as it takes to you could, cut an Australian Shepherd, is what I found you could, out. You could watch a rom com, or you could cut your hair. You decide. Do them both at the same time. Who cares? All right, got some thank yous. That's right. We uh, at patreon.com slash boss hog of liberty. That's where you can go to find out all of those interesting stories. If you sign up at $50 or more a month, then we promise to give you a shout out at the front of every episode. Those folks are Craig DaCosta from all the way in Hawaii, Chris Lamb from here in Newcastle, Indiana, Christy Avery, 
Um, I think I'm just doxing all these people now. So Christy Avery from Fort Wayne and then our favorite car salesman from in Fishers, Indiana, Jonathan Phillips. He doesn't live in Fishers, but you know, that's where you go if you want to buy a car anyway. You go to Andy Moore Buick GMC and you go see John. That's correct. Our boy John. We also, we sold each of us our vehicles. Yeah, he did. We also have the T-chip stores that are still online if you are an essential employee or maybe you just want to spend your Trump bucks there. It's a much more responsible decision than going and buying a Tiger. I can promise to do that. T-chip.com slash B-H-O-1, two or three. That's where you can go to buy uh, T-shirts, sweatshirts, long sleeve tees. I think there's even some tank tops for spring and summertime. All three of those have different designs. Um, the They range from cheapest to most expensive one to three. So, and I think the most expensive is, is only like, like $40 and that's for a, a premium sweatshirt. So, you know, it, we're, we're not getting rich off of these, off of these t-shirts folks. So we are, we're trying to make it to where you can support and rep our brand as, as much as you want to. And uh, I mean, who cares what you do with a t-shirt after you get it? I mean, you can make a mask out of them. I saw Martha Hewitt watching. True. She was she was showing stories of how she cut up a mask. So if you bought one of those T-shirts with the old logo, uh, when Dakota, against my will, changed our logo to something incredible, uh, then then take one of those old T-shirts and cut it up and make your make your life saving mask. You can do that. You can do that. I would support it at least. You got your. Uh, we we meant to talk about this on Patreon, but we didn't get there. Did you get your Trump bucks? I did not. You did. I did not. I haven't gotten my stimulus check yet, man. All of my, everyone that I know has gotten them. Did you understand why? Are you a political enemy of the man? Did you, did you log in and try to figure out what you've done wrong? Do you have to atone Uh, for something? I, I haven't looked it up. I haven't really put any time or effort into finding out why, as I assume it's just going to show up uh, eventually. But this weird thing happens whenever I file my taxes and sometimes it gets direct deposited and sometimes it shows up as a check in the mail. So I, I'm thinking that it's probably going to show up as a check in the mail in five months. So maybe you're going to be the guy that actually gets the check signed by the president. You're yeah. going to have that going for you. See, yeah, I should do that and I should mobile deposit it and have it framed so that because, you know, it's going to be one of those things where whenever I'm 80, it's I'm going to pull it out of a file cabinet and go, this is going to be worth something one day. It's going to be worth $1,200 times two. <laughs> yeah, maybe. 12 hundo. Of course, you screwed <sighs> up and didn't have that bit. You know, if that kid was born December 31st, it would have been another 500 bucks. Uh, you know what? They said if you have a kid yeah, during all this lockdown, then you get $500. I do have a kid during this lockdown. Just because he wasn't born whenever I filed my taxes doesn't mean that he's not an existing person and a dependent. Well, maybe for the next pandemic, he'll, he'll count. But right now, he's, he's just doesn't, he's, he's not, uh, he doesn't count in the eyes of our, of our Lord and Savior, Donald J. Trump. I also fully believe that they should be counted as a dependent. Um, I'm going to say like after four months of pregnancy. Once they're viable, you want to be able to claim them? Well, I think that you need to claim them because you're already spending a ton of money on the baby. But you need to have a social security number to be able to claim them. Well, I, I think that should change is my point. I think that they need to, or maybe they give you the social security number at, at like four months, like at your four month checkup at the, uh, at the OBGYN office, 
they they go here's here's your paperwork to file for your social security well, card. Now Zach Burcham is in the chat, and he says that when you file the taxes after this year, you're going to get the five hundred bucks. Mm. So you won't get it right now, but come maybe February of next year when you file your twenty twenty taxes, uh, maybe you'll get a five hundred dollar bonus credit. Well, that would just be by EB Jackson paying off already. And you know, the and cool then if thing you really, that, if you really want to win Father of the Year, you take that and you invest it for him, and then give him the entire thing in eighteen years. Yeah, I'll open up. Uh, what are those things called at the bank? Whenever they like advertise a five, a, a five twenty nine account is what you could do. I'm saying like open a, a one of those kids club accounts. accounts. <laughs> yeah. How and old it, are it you on like, the inside? Are you 87 years old? Yeah, you want to buy a CD it, for your little boy? <laughs> and it gets like 0.8% <laughs> return every yeah. year. Yeah. Like, I invested this for you when you were born. It'll I be put worth 500 the- bucks in there and it's worth seven, uh, $7.89 plus $500. Yeah, it, it'll be worth uh, about $200 in today's money at that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh shoot! So watching uh, watching the chat, we've got a, a tremendous number of people watching again tonight because uh, there's nothing else on TV. There's nothing else going on in the world. We're it. Um, how do we become such must-watch TV, Dakota? How do we get here? What's well, that the, was something. How do we become the most trustworthy name in Henry County podcast news? East Central was, Indiana podcast news. It, yeah, East Central Indiana's our, favorite. Our logo says East Central Indiana's favorite, and it was that was something that I was thinking about earlier this week um as because once you get a podcast like this and you you start making the rounds people come on your show you um add all these other creators and other media members on social media and you can see what they're doing and as i I was watching a, a few folks in particular i'm watching them and i can see them going down the road of being uh, trying to become like an investigative journalist. And it, it reminded me of when we started to go down that road. And I think that both of us kind of realized that that is not, um, those aren't the people that we want to be known as the folks that uh, take rumors and then broadcast it out on social media without any actual proof to back it up. Uh, that's why in the, if, you, if you're a Patreon member, you get access to the show notes before the show. And there's a little bullet point in here called the evolution of Boss Hog. And it says we're local media, but we're not reactionary media. And what is the difference in that? And that is reactionary media is going onto your Facebook page and posting in all caps or going on the Boss Hog page and screaming about a rumor that you heard through the grapevine because someone heard the rumor from their brother's uncle who saw, saw it, uh, in a, in a video that was live streamed to Facebook. Like, so we are, we are not journalists. We are guys that have a podcast that live in this community and care about this community and the issues that are interesting to us are what we talk about on the show. That's kind of been the premise since the beginning and we're not in it for clickbait. And at this point, I think, we would probably do the, we do the show for ourselves. The audience is incredible and, and we love having live folks participate. We love that folks listen online later. Uh, but it's an us show. We talk about what's interesting to us and we don't play characters. There's, there are ways to do podcasts where you're doing a character and there's a way to just simply be yourself. And it's a, it, it's driven by curiosity. If there's a topic we care about, then we're going to look into it. We're going to talk about it. And that's where the conversation is going to go. 
So that's what you're going to have when we get into the regular segments today. It's things throughout the week that uh, that tweaked us or that we were into and, and we got going on. Yeah. And, you know, it carries a local, everything carries a local twist with this show, but it is because, uh, like you said, we are members of this community. We care a lot about this community, and that's where that comes from. But it's, um, you know, if we were in it for becoming popular or becoming actual uh, for, to become... I'm already known. popular. I don't need this podcast to yeah. make me popular. Well, I mean, it's just since we stopped being those guys, since we stopped looking into everything with this skeptical mind and taking tips from random phone numbers that would call and uh, emails that were full of half truths because people believe that they know things that they don't actually know. And whenever we stopped being those people, we, we stopped spreading the rumors. Um, we lost, like we lost people on our Patreon account, um, like surrounding uh, the wind issue. Um, and commissioners, like we, if if uh, people expected us to be their watchdogs for the community and to just take take these unfounded claims and try to spread them with our reach, they were trying to get us to spread their rumors, and we we lost those folks. And I think that we are better for it um, because now there's that doesn't hang over our heads anymore. So it's. It's not about the gaining the, the most Patreon members, gaining the most downloads and the most likes on our Facebook page. It's like you said, we care about our community. We care about the people that live in our community. If we see something that's wrong and we can and we know that it's true, then we will bring it up on this show. But we are not the guys that are going to just, like I said, just tell your rumors for you. And I think that there there are folks that uh in our in this podcasting community that have taken that model and ran with it because it's made them more popular on social media and i want to i want to make the distinction between us and folks like that (laughs) you can you can look at the story we did last night i sat through um a zoom meeting last uh last evening uh with the county commissioners and they they were discussing the the local health department uh, put an ordinance request through essentially uh, asking for the commissioners to, because the health department, just like when I was on the Memorial park board uh, you can make recommendations to the commissioners, but the commissioners are, are the executive branch of our County. So if you look at Indiana County government um, you have three commissioners that essentially work as the, the executive or the president of the County. And they're the ones that get to make executive orders or ordinances. So the health department or the health board said that they wanted to, Closed golf cart courses. They wanted to uh, it shut down the Newcastle Motorsports Park, and they wanted to shut down the Saddle Club uh, for a period of time. And there was public input last night uh, at the at the board meeting, and I sat through it and listened. And they're going to continue to study the issue, but they did not adopt uh, the health board's recommendation to immediately close golf courses. So I wrote up a little one paragraph blurb, put it out from the Boss Hog page. Had phenomenal reach immediately. It was, uh, it did very well, put it in a a couple of community groups and the conversations just went crazy. I think it had six or 7,000 people reached when I looked at it this morning, which for a community of, of our size, um, is big. And now I knew it was going to get clicks and it was going to go far, but it's also something that that's interesting to us. 
because throughout this pandemic, we've been trying to we've been trying to have this conversation about how do we stay safe, what should be okay, what is okay, um, and yet at the same time not be a total authoritarian and tell everybody what they can't do. Um, and you, you can feel it. I, I, you can feel the 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 psyche of people in in our community and in our state and in the Midwest right now that we are tired of, of being inside of our houses. We're trying to do everything we can to, to do it right. But man, we are right at the breaking point of, you know, there's, there's going to be a protest in Indiana on Saturday at the governor's mansion. Uh, And a lot of my friends have expressed interest in going. And I don't, you know, I I personally think it's silly to go show up and stand in a crowd right now. Uh, I don't like the government telling you that you can't, but I also think that it's personally irresponsible for me to go down to the state house and stand in a crowd of people. Um, it's not the smart thing to do. I think there are ways to get outside and there are ways to start opening businesses up and get back, get back running, but it's not to go stand in a crowd of 400 people in the governor's lawn. Yeah. It's uh, especially whenever the talks are already being had about getting the state open back up. I, I feel like the, um, the protest is a little bit late. <laughs> if the conversation's already being had, they're already trying to uh, work through this issue um, at the state level. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. They, I mean, they're already, it's already a conversation that's being had and it's already being worked on. I don't, it seems pretty, I'm going to just going to say it seems pointless to me, to be honest, to, to even have the protests at this point. It's, it's like a protesting the Patriot Act after it, it got voted on. Like you don't know, you don't really know what they're going to decide, though, right? So today the news was the there are I think seven states: Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois, Michigan, and I think Wisconsin are going to kind of pack up together. And I think California, Oregon, and Washington were together. And then New York and states around New York State were going to we're going to try to onboard at the same time. Um. I, I hope we get to a point where we're, do, we're we're getting back to normal soon, but I don't I don't know what that is. It, it's it's tough, but I know I know at some point people are just going to stop stop playing nice. Yeah. The the conversation is as we as it was sold to us at the, you know three weeks ago, four weeks ago when we started the stay at home stuff. It was we need to we need to stay at home to to stop the curve, slow the was slow the curve essentially, or flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. So we need to flatten the curve so that we're not going to run out of hospital beds. We can build capacity and we can build PPE, and that's what's been happening for the last month. It wasn't the agreement that I don't know if it's a social contract or what you want to call it, but the agreement was never we're going to stay at home until everybody's safe and until we have a cure or we have a, you know, we've eradicated the virus. That was never what people were sold or what they agreed to. Yeah. So uh, speaking about oppressive regimes and something that needs protested, um, my property tax bill showed up at my house today. Congratulations. You're a landowner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and, uh, you know, yours showed up, I think, that you put in the chat that you got yours yesterday, right? I did. Mine came yesterday. The mail runs faster in Newcastle than, than it does in Spiceland, obviously. Apparently. Uh, so, I'm, I'm sorry about that for you. Do you have to go to a P.O. box? I know our boy Mason has to go to a P.O. box. They won't get in Spiceland proper. Darren Jacobs is so controlling that he will not let the postman out on the streets. You have to go pick up your mail from the government office. I guess in rural Spiceland Township, they will still come to your door. 
Yeah. So I live in the County. So I have a, I have a mailbox. Um, actually, um, the, uh, the previous owners of my home, they ha- always had a PO box and I was actually the one that put the mailbox in and my house is built in 1973. So it's, uh, the, for a long time, there's a PO box number associated with this address, but not any longer because, uh, it seems like a waste of precious, precious time. Uh, whenever I was growing up in Dunreath, Indiana, you had to have a PO box as well. But anyway, that's we're not here to talk about the USPS postal service for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> so we, um, you saw a giant increase on your property taxes. So what happened with my taxes? What happened was. Um, I'm just looking up Dakota's property taxes right now. I'm going to dox him. Does anybody want to know what Dakota's address is? Man, your taxes are higher than mine. I just looked. You you pay have, more than I, you have a very very expensive community. That that Spiceland a, Township life is, and yours went down. I have my a, god, quite a bit more land than what you have as well. I have one third of an acre. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my taxes went up six percent this year on my house. Uh, magically, probably through my political connections, I can only imagine that's why it happened, or the fact that my yard was torn up and I, and I just simply, I did a terrible job of maintaining it. My assessed value went down this year. So uh, that's why my taxes actually uh, didn't go as badly as they could have. Um, but my assessed value actually went down like $4,300 on my house. Uh, so as I was looking across, a lot, almost every rate did go up, but because my assessed value went down, uh, our our property taxes here they include our 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 county itself, our our public library, the schools, um, and our townships. Those those are essentially what gets to put uh, the the three main buckets that we have. Matt Sousa says one less tree. He did remove a tree for me last year, so that was a four thousand dollar <laughs> tree. Now that that tree's gone. Uh, it, it dropped my, it dropped my assessed value. Um, so the County, the library and the school district, actually the, those dropped for me because of the assessed value. So the percentage that I paid went down. Uh, but the thing that stuck out was my township rate went up 459%. I said, what in the heck is this? How'd that happen? Did their budget go like crazy? Cause you're, when you look at your taxes in Indiana, this is not supposed to be a whole tax show, but just high level conversation. I went from paying uh, $19 in township taxes to $110 in township taxes. That's the smallest line, well, second smallest line item on my taxes uh, behind the library. Uh, But a 400% increase is insane, right? You go, what the heck happened? So instead of doing the clickbait reactionary thing that you talked about and saying, hey, I want to scream about this, I went looking backwards. And uh, I, I dug in a little bit. And I looked at uh, 2020 through 2015, and I realized that we actually got a little bit of a break in Henry Township last year. Uh, our tax rate went from about a quarter of a percent to, uh, to 20 cents. So on, on a dollar, right? 25 cents, 20 cents, 20 cents, 26 cents. And then in 2019, it went to four cents. And then this year it went to 28. So it's a, it's a jump over what other years were, but it's I mean, we got a massive savings in 2019. So I reached out to uh, to our township trustee, Nancy Webb, and I said, you know, can you explain this? Give me a little bit of, uh, of insight. And essentially what happened was uh, 
the township fire fund. That's the number one expense for a township is your fire department. And last year they spent it down to nothing. So they had no tax for your fire last year. So everybody gets their tax bill and says, Oh my God, my township tax rate went up 450%. And, and you have immediately want to reactionarily just like blow them up and say, you're stealing what the hell. But if you actually dig into it a little bit, they, they cut you a break last year. And then your township trustee is going to bear the brunt of that. I'm I'm sure that uh, whoever that is, I don't I don't know who your trustee it's, is. It's Nancy Nancy Webb, and she's the one that I talked to about it today. Uh, when I was I I went down the rabbit hole. I looked at the document and I said, "Well, that's okay. Yeah, this makes sense. This makes sense." And then that was such an outlier. I said, "Is it a misprint? What happened?" Because then I started looking. I didn't have all of my. I, I don't really have the most organized life, but I was able to pull the statements from about every other year, and they print both years on them. Uh, so I was able to pull numbers all the way back to fifteen. Uh, and I saw that 2019, we just had a hell of a deal. So take a look at it, understand it. And it's a really good exercise. They, they mail it to you every year if you own a house uh, or own property. And, uh, and you can actually see where your money's going. And those tax rates that are there are all tied to the budget um, of, of, of each department, right? So mine, my taxes actually went down by about $200. And it was uh, the only thing that went down was my school district costs dropped dramatically this year. Um, everything else stayed about the same or increased just a little bit. But for some reason, the school district in my area um, requested a lot less money from my property this year, I guess. I, I don't know why. I also... Um, Whenever we moved to this house in the first year we got our property taxes, I got two property tax bills. And I thought, what in the world is this? And I realized that uh, my house was built on two lots. Two parcels and, and they combined them, eh? Yeah, well, they never got combined. So from 1973 until 2019, they were it was being paid as two separate parcels. And I, I uh, sent a text to our good friend, uh, socialist Darren Jacobs, <laughs> and uh, asked him, I was like, hey, what do I have to do to, to get this combined? And he said, just tell me about it like you just did, and I can fix it right now. <laughs> there you go. So he got that taken care of for me. I don't know if that had um, any impact on the amount that I actually paid with it being two separate parcels combined to one. I don't, I'm not sure. But if you look at Beacon, um, it, the county's where you can look up your property. I'm looking and, at your, I'm looking at your lovely estate right now. Yeah. Uh, it just shows me owning, owning one square now, doesn't it? Your, no your 252 foot by 200 foot lot. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah. And isn't it nice? My tiny home fits just perfect. In that wink heart edition. Do you know the wink hearts? I do. The, the <laughs> wink hearts live like, they still live like three houses down. That that price you paid for the house too. That you can't beat that deal. <laughs> zero dollars and zero cents in the eyes of the of the county. In the congratulations. Eyes of the law. Yes. yes in the eyes good. of the law, that was a free house. I don't gifted. know how you got that deal, but <laughs> sign me up because mine doesn't say that. I'll hook you up with my realtor. His name is John Kindred. <laughs> <laughs> Our favorite. Zach Bertram says I'm an internet creep right now, but man, if it's on the internet, it's public information. Zach, you know that. You know that deep yeah, down. Yeah. 
Man, so I, I didn't have to tell us that. And the, <laughs> the oh my god! If you guys remember that argument last summer, uh, one of the classic arguments that Dakota tried to hide and run away from, like a like a spineless linguini of a host, and Mason and I fought to the death. Um, you'll notice that the other major player in local media took our side this last week. If you read the opinion page, so. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that everybody's uh, agreeing with Mason and I now. I was I was in the fight until Mason doxed a, a, <laughs> an old lady, and then I went. Yeah, I've, this has gone too far. Uh, that <clears throat> so that that fellow is still learning uh, how to not be internet crazy. He's a young man. He's just <laughs> trying to work his way through the world. He'll figure. Uh, it out. He'll figure it out. Uh, he may be the one that actually plays a character on the show. I'm me, and Dakota is he. But uh, Mason might be a bit of a character still. Yeah, we don't really know to who Mason is. All right. Hey, so I Mason did also say character. another friend of the show, Mark Coger, who was running. Uh, he's a city councilman. He was advocating uh, in this time of emergency that folks should probably write the governor and ask him to waive property tax caps so that local government doesn't suffer any further uh, from the oppressive one percent constitutional tax. Uh, because at some point your house, if you have a, if your house is appraised for a hundred thousand dollars in the eye of the County, you can have a maximum of a thousand dollars, uh, in property taxes that go out. Uh, sometimes you hit what's called a circuit breaker, uh, where the budgets of the County, um, entities and the city entities, uh, run you up against that circuit breaker and then they just don't get any more money. And that's what happens. That's one of the reasons why people, uh, that are on these boards, don't ever want to cut their budget because they know that if they cut their budget, some other entity is just going to get their money. Uh, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to actually, your taxes aren't going to go down because once you get to the circuit breaker, if the library cuts their number down, but the park board leaves their number high, the park's just going to get a bigger, bigger chunk of the pie. That's the problem that they have with the circuit breaker. Yeah. And that was, uh now, I'm glad that you brought up Mark Coger because he was the specific reason that I decided to put this in the show tonight. It was just to he's been he's been of, very public about it. He's talked about it uh, a number of times the last the last couple of weeks. Well, it became a it became it did become a problem for local governments. They they had uh, more money. Um, they had been budgeting based on this money. They knew that if things got too tight then uh, property taxes could theoretically be raised. And really now, quickly, I will say, County Treasurer Bill Upchurch just joined the chat. And uh, Bill, the check's in the mail, man. I got your, I got the bill and the check's in the mail, and you'll have it uh, between now and July. Well, here's my uh, – that was one other thing I wanted to bring up with the property taxes really quick is that at the top of my property tax bill, it still says that I will get a 5% penalty if it's not paid by the due date on that bill. But we know that that's not true. Um, due to the fact that well, it's a, I mean, it, it's probably a form that existed in their defense. Uh, that is probably the state form that form that that came printed. The spring installment remittance coupon is state form IC six dash one dot one dot or dash two two dash eight dot one approved by the state board of accounts. And I'm guessing they probably aren't allowed to change that. So government runs at the speed of smell. Uh, the governor said they're not going to enforce any uh, late penalties, but that form probably that was probably already baked in before uh, before the pandemic set in. 
in their defense. But I will say that there's there's been a number of county officials that have said, no, please, please, pretty please, really, please, 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 please pay on time because we're going to have to borrow money if you don't send it uh, by that. I know. Um, yeah. Well, and because it, it that poses a, a, a potentially real serious uh, conundrum for like we were just talking about your local government, uh, your schools, your township, the township fire department specifically, they, those folks, um, they depend on, on the money that comes from your property taxes. That is their funding. And if that's pushed back a couple months and everyone decides that they're just not going to pay it until the date that the state set, well then for a couple months, they could be broke. Here's, here's Um, my solution to that. Uh, the state's sitting on $2 trillion or $2 billion, whatever the <laughs> head is, billion, trillion, million. At this point in government, nobody cares anymore. At least the federals doesn't. Uh, so this, the state of Indiana is sitting on $2 billion in extra cash. The state of Indiana just invented the rules saying that you can push 60 days. Uh, I think just as easily the governor can say, yeah, we'll make up your shortfall, uh, each of the 92 counties, because we just made this rule and you guys pay when you need to. Uh, at least for the individuals, you and I are, are in a unique spot where we actually do pay our own property taxes because you've got a free house and I, uh, <laughs> and I, I have, I don't have an escrow account. I just, uh, I just simply go ahead and, and pay it. I, 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 I'm responsible for paying my own property taxes and insurance. Uh, so I actually do have to write that check The my mortgage company doesn't do that for me. Uh, Probably 80% of people, they just pay their mortgage payment and the bank sends it in and it's all taken care of. Um, but that's the, that's, that's the reality. And so it, it's probably a theoretical conversation more than anything else uh, for individual homeowners, for businesses and for agriculture folks, for, for folks that own uh, farmland. That's a big check. That's not capped at 1%. That's capped at 2 or 3%, depending upon what category you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um. So what do you, what is your personal opinion on the the tax caps, Jeremiah? You were old enough to vote on the amendment. They should have never put them in the Constitution. Uh, in the nineties, when uh, when Republicans ran for governor, they used to run on a premise that property taxes were immoral and illegal and they shouldn't exist. And then they put them in the Constitution, admitting that they're allowed. State of Indiana should try to get rid of property taxes completely. So I'm not a fan of the property tax caps because they legitimize property taxes, uh, and we should we should run on uh, sales tax. It should be a sales tax county or a sales tax state, in my opinion. It, even if it has to be a little bit higher, it's not regressive. You never own your own house, so I'm not a fan of property tax caps because it admits property taxes need to be there. Um, so one, two, and three percent are those those numbers are probably arbitrary, but they're in the Constitution now. So the governor can't wave his hand to fix that one for you. It is what it is. The property taxes are there. What do you think? Um, I, uh, you know, I think you're exactly right. You kind of took the words out of my mouth. They having the property tax caps, I think is, um, like on paper, it is a good thing. It keeps, um, it keeps your government from just totally, destroying you every spring and fall on your property. Um, it, it kind of levels the playing field to where, you know, um, most people are going to be able to pay their property taxes every year. Um, you can look at those things. You can typically know what your property taxes are going to be with a rough estimate every year because of the property tax caps. 
But like you said, it legitimizes them in the state constitution. And now it becomes a much more laborious ordeal if um, some freedom loving governor wanted to do away with the with property taxes altogether. In this community, property taxes are actually cheaper than a lot of other places in the state. And in the state of Indiana, property taxes are a whole lot cheaper than they are in other places in the nation, too. Um, you know, it, it is not uncommon uh, to have property taxes that are in the $500 to $1,200 range. Somewhere in that, somewhere in there is what the majority of the single uh, single family houses are, if it's, if it's the only house you have. If you have your homestead exemption, which means that you live in your house and you occupy you occupy the house and it's the only one you have, so you're the average middle income family, your property taxes are probably between 500 bucks and 1,000 bucks, 1,500 bucks a year, somewhere in that range. Um, so it's not truly put you out of your house destitute horrible, but it's also not, you know, you never fully own your house. It's not like you live in New York State where it's six or $7,000 a year. Or $10,000 a year. Bill Lowry is uh, making a, a very good point that the tax caps are uh, irrelevant because the people who come up with how much your house is worth is the government. They're you do vote for that person, buy. though. You yes. do vote for that person. So if you don't like the assessor, every four years the assessor is up for vote and you can have their job. If you don't like your drainage would, ditch, if you don't like your drainage ditch, you can run for county uh, county surveyor. If you don't like the way the taxes are collected, you can run for treasurer, right? What would happen if I was elected as the county assessor and I just decided that everyone's house in Henry County was worth zero dollars and zero cents? You would probably have a lot of very upset uh, elected <laughs> officials around you. You would probably not have any police or fire protection with the system that we have. Uh, the jail wouldn't have any money to operate. And the uh, and and you'd have a lot of department heads that that are out of work pretty quick. Uh, but before they're out of work, they'd be pretty pissed at you. That's just my guess. That's just a hunch. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, I mean, if if you ran on that platform, then it's just like what Andrew Yang would say. It, he Andrew Yang always said that if he was elected, then we he everyone would know why he got elected. And if an assessor ran on doing away with your property taxes, everyone would know what was coming. So you better get your ducks in a row before assessment time comes around. Councilman Malakut says the council <laughs> would not like you. That's what he's saying in the chat right now. You will uh, not be popular. I'm sorry, Councilman Malakut, but you're just going to have to learn how to run things without other people's money. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can just, you, maybe you should run on the voluntary pay what you think you owe system. You just, whatever feels good. Yeah. Whatever number you think is right. See how we do on, on voluntary tax collection. Yeah. I bet. We'll right. send you, we'll send you a statement of what we think it should be. You don't have to pay this bill, but in, in Dakota's world, we're not going to come after you. We're not going to prosecute, but morally we think you need to pay us a thousand bucks this year and we'll just see what, see what comes in. I think that it would be the a better system. Um, I I would feel less burn about my property taxes if I got my if they told me this is how much you owe and you have the option to select what percentage of your property taxes goes to what in your township. And I went through and I put I want seventy percent 
of my property taxes to go to try to South Henry School Corporation. And I want 0% to go to Darren Jacobs and his socialist regime. I would, but I would feel better about paying them if I had some say in where my money went and how it got spent. And I think a lot of folks would too. I mean, you'd probably have to put stipulations in there, like nothing could get 0% or something like that. And I think that that would force some real competition between the departments that are vying for that money to uh, maybe they have to become more active in the community so that the next time property taxes come around, then, uh, then people have them in mind. It's just a thought. It's idealist. It's not likely going to happen, but I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Councilman Malicote is threatening you, by the way. He says that they would not have any money to pay you if you ran the government that way. So recognize that you're, if you're volunteering. If you're the assessor and you go zero dollars, uh, you're, you're not getting paid. That's true. So, so that's a little that bit of out. conflict of interest if you're the assessor <laughs> and your salary is based on how much you assess the house is for. It means that whatever you get paid as the assessor has to come out of that general fund too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. We'll, we'll let you, uh, we'll let you keep scheming on your uh, D- Dakota Davis for County Assessor 2020 campaign over the next couple of months, but we need to talk about the local COVID-19. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but I had my reporter hat on and watched the County Commissioner's meeting and they determined that they're going to leave golf courses open at this time and they're going to have all of the golf courses get together, talk amongst themselves and come up with a proposal, uh, uh, or, uh, some sort of a ring kissing ceremony for the <laughs> county commissioners uh, to decide if maybe golf carts are going to be available uh, and if they get to continue, as long as they have a reasonable social distancing plan, uh, golf courses in Henry County may be able to continue on. Well, yeah, if uh, they say they're going to continue to monitor that situation, but it's so, well, actually one good, one good point to bring up about this whole thing is we said, we, we talked about it last week on the show was that um, this is brought about um, by Royal Highlands golf course out here um, close to where I live. And they were still giving people carts. They you make giving, your, you make your area sound more and more luxurious every day. <laughs> I'm not that close to it. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just closer to it than I am other golf courses. So, well, Westwood actually, they're probably pretty equal distance either way, but they, uh, they were still allowing people to take golf course, take their golf carts out, but they were limiting it to one person per golf cart. And the, uh, it, it seemed like the health department had, a had issues with that, um, because they were, directly disobeying their orders and that was uh the ordinance from the ordinance from the county commissioner said no golf carts at all that was in the ordinance you could remain open but you couldn't use a golf cart so they (sighs) but the thing is it sounds like those courses could have been could have been shut down or cited or dealt with but instead the step that the health department tried to make was, nope, we're just shutting down golf for everybody. Cause, cause one or two courses couldn't follow the rules. The right. Memorial park course, there were no reports of them. And I never saw a single golf cart out there, but there were other courses that, that in, in other media reports and public officials accounts have had them. 
So it's um, well, it's just a good example of they they stuck to their guns, they made their case, and they got it changed. They and the commissioners were level headed enough to recognize that it was a silly decision to close all of them based on that, and that the golf courses were, in fact, even though they were uh, going against the ordinance, they were still taking uh, necessary precautions to keep the the players at their clubs safe from the pandemic. And, I mean, we're told all the time from the state house and from Governor Holcomb's office that we need to go outside uh, Hoosiers need to go outside. We need to do things outdoors because it's good for your mental health instead of just staying cooped up inside all day. And golf is a great way to do that. You can, you get some exercise in, you're either walking or you're riding, you're enjoying uh, the outdoors and it's nice. It would have been a real, real shame had the commissioners decided to just shut them down. So, We've seen it, it's not been universal. Uh, golf courses uh, closing at Carmel, Indiana, had golf courses closed, and they've actually reopened them since then. So it's not like we're the only outlier in, in our community by, by keeping them open. Uh, last night, a lot of the conversation uh, publicly went from just golf courses to park spaces and parks being open, and why is Westwood Park closed, but uh, and the city parks are closed, but the Indiana State Park out at uh, Summit Lake is open and Memorial Park is open. Why are these all different? So I think it's also important for folks. This is why basic civics kind of matter. Uh, those are the four biggest parks in our county, in our community, and they all have different management, right? Summit Lake is a state park. It's one of 19, I think it's 19 state parks in the state of Indiana. Uh, we're lucky to have one here. Uh, but it's managed by the Indiana DNR and the governor and his office are the ones that determine whether or not the state parks are open. Baker park, which is like Newcastle's uh, central park has a, has a really nice running track around it. It's adjacent to the skate park, which is kind of lumped in with Baker park. They've got basketball courts. They have a city pool there. They have pickleball. They have a dog park, park park. They've got the Indian mounds. It's near the high school. Fantastic park. That is a city park. And it's controlled by up. There's a park board, but really, ultimately, the uh, the mayor, Mayor York, is the one that has that determining factor. Memorial Park is controlled by the county commissioners. Obviously, there's a park board there as well, but that's the county's park. It's the county's one park, uh, but it's that's commissioner controlled. So those three individuals make that decision. And then Westwood is kind of a totally different park. Uh, that is controlled by the Big Blue River Conservation District, which is actually. Uh, a two county area and it deals with the flood control. They've got a number of reservoirs, but one park that's open in it and that's Westwood. Uh, and that's controlled by their board. And they're, I posted that. If you go to my Facebook page, you can see the, uh, the summary of the conservation districts in the state uh, and all the contact information for the people on that board and who makes those decisions is right there. And a shout out to Westwood. Westwood is a shining example of how a park like that can be ran so well through uh, um, through private donations. It's an impeccably clean place. I I love it at Westwood. the The trails are are beautiful. Um, the biking is is great there, and kayaking and fishing are great at uh, at Westwood as well. So uh, that's part of your property taxes too. Uh, there's it, an assessment for the, for the conservation uh, for the, uh, the conservancy district. I paid yeah. 
uh, $45 for flood control on my property taxes this year. They uh, are, which is, um, which includes the operation of Westwood and all of those lakes that help keep the big blue river from flooding. There was a, um, yeah, but according to the, according to the, the nice lady who, uh, who sits at the ranger station, they very much depend on people buying yearly passes and making donations, um, and buying t-shirts and things to, to really keep that park as clean as what it is. Yeah. A big, a lot of the revenue that comes, uh, for our state parks is the same thing. You have voluntary folks that buy DNR license plates. You buy annual passes to state parks. You buy an annual pass to, uh, to Westwood. Uh, you buy your annual boat launch sticker, uh, your kayak launch stickers. All of those are voluntary things that you pay into to keep those parks operational. And I, I'm, we're in parks all the time. My household, we, we are consistently in parks and outside on boats and, and, you know, boats, uh, camping, hiking, just getting out and, and doing things, taking the dogs out, trying to enjoy the outdoors. My, my biggest concern is that every time I, there's always the law of unintended consequences, right? So when you try to tighten down who can be out, where they can be out, what's going to happen. The same people that want to be out playing golf are also probably the same people that are going to go move to a trail. So the next thing you know, the Henry County walking trails are going to be overrun with people. People are going to be out on their bikes. They're going to be out on foot. Uh, the, the <laughs> Dakota's got a crowd. He's waving. He's waving to somebody. <laughs> you're you're going to see people are still going to have activity. Uh, and the more you restrict the more difficult it's going to be um, to get away and to actually achieve uh, that social the, distance. The, I believe the point was made at the commissioner's meeting that if we shut down our golf courses, then uh, other counties, which are larger than us, which have like Delaware County and Hancock County, some of our, and Madison County, some of our surrounding areas, which have substantially more cases of uh, COVID-19 that people will just go play golf there and they might have a greater chance of being exposed to it there and bringing it back to Henry County. What, uh, what do you think about the, 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 the health board, the board of health said we want the saddle club and the Newcastle Motorsports park to not operate during this time because it attracts those out of County folks. Uh, commissioner Yanos kind of challenged that in the meeting and he said, Look, that motorsports park sits right next to truck stops that have people that come from out of out of county all the time. Uh, they're coming from all over the country, and the board said, "Well, yes, but those folks are—they're um, generally, you know, in and out. They're not staying. They're not congregating. They're not talking to other folks. So it's a different different situation." What do you, What are your thoughts on that? How, do you think that they should be included in this in this shutdown, or you know, maybe their best course of action is to let them? make their case next week. Well, I, I'm, I want to hear them make their case. Um, but I totally also understand where the health board is coming from because they, they are right. It does bring a lot of people in from outside of the County who may be coming. Maybe they're coming from Indianapolis where they've got a couple thousand cases versus our, you know, uh, however many we had 24 or something. And it was, it, that is a very valid point. However, 
I think that the people who are going to the Saddle Club and the Newcastle um, Motorsports Park, um, those folks, they understand that risk as well as individuals. They know what's happening. Now, of course, the argument is that they might understand the risk, but then they go home and uh, they see their their grandma who has problems with uh, bronchitis and she gets it and dies and she never went to the motorsport port, the motorsports park. So I understand it on all sides. Um, I'm open to being persuaded either way, but right now I would say keep them open. Unless at, I, at this time, there's a, there's another go-kart track in Columbus, uh, called Cyrilan, which is, uh, it has its roots going back to Cummins, the, the motor company. It's a, originally that park was a, uh, was was essentially a co-op for for Cummins employees, and they've got a big go kart track there as well. And what they're doing to manage it is they're keeping it open, essentially for rentals. So you have to have ten people or less, and you get a period of hours that your party can be there. So that's how they're achieving their social distancing. Um, it goes back to me to that same conversation of we aren't going to be able to do this for two years until there's a vaccine. So at some point we're going to be Take precautions, make your own decisions. We can't be shut down completely. You know, the biggest, the, the Saddle Club uh, has made plans and announcements that their biggest show, the Indy Circuit, is coming up in early June. They're not going to allow any public spectators. That's their plan right now. No public spectators, only the show people themselves. You stay in your quarters, you do your showing. It's a non touch, one judge facility for that show. Um, and you've got your stalls and you bring your own, essentially you bring your own house with you. You, you stay in your, your luxurious horse trailer with living quarters or you stay in a hotel that's open. Right. Um, so you don't really have to interact with other people. You can keep your distances and still exhibit horses. Um, and same thing with go-karts. Honestly, you're not touching each other. You, you've got a crew of two or three people on a go-kart and you're, you're separated. The only issue yeah, is that you're bringing people through, but damn it, you've got an interstate. Uh, one of the most populous, populated interstates in the country runs right through Henry County. So, uh, but you're it, reusing carts with other people. You're reusing the helmets and the. Uh, no, 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 no. That could be that could be rentals. You could say, okay, we're not doing any rentals, but the majority of the competition folks that come in, they own their own right. carts. They come in yeah. on a trailer. You, you're you're judging that based on your experience going out in a rental cart. Uh, maybe, maybe the rental doesn't exist, but maybe it's track time. You know, they're, they're running ra competitive races where you roll in with your equipment or your stuff is garaged out there. You're not sharing rides. Right. Yeah, no, that, that is a very valid point, uh, with regards to out there. Um, also with Henry County, we, we saw our first death here last week. <laughs> yeah. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I just <laughs> breathed in some sawdust in, in my garage. <laughs> um, we saw our first death last week. We I, in the show notes, I put that we knew it was coming, um, just because it. I mean, with the way that this thing spreads and how it impacts uh, folks that have pre-existing conditions and older folks, we and the vast majority of our population in this area is uh, in that high risk uh, age range. We knew it was going to happen eventually, but I'm curious to hear from you if you think that uh, if that kind of made a difference in how you see this thing. It's going to be a numbers game. 
right? It, it, unfortunately, there's there's a certain rate of of sickness and death that's going to be applied. Uh, so if you look at this just exclusively with the with the left side of your brain and your analytical mind, that's that's the it's going to happen, and it's very sad and it's very unfortunate, and we're going to have we're going to have loss. Um, the most important thing we can do is take prevention, and the most, in my understanding, the the most vulnerable communities are the ones that we have to be most concerned about. Uh, Madison County has had just horrific problems with, with it running through nursing homes. Um, and I'm very, <laughs> I'm very guarded and hopeful that, that it doesn't get into, into the nursing homes. That's, that's my biggest fear. My biggest concern um, is that that's where, that's where it can really <laughs> Uh, I, I don't even want to talk about it. That's 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 where it can get really ugly really fast. I I think if you are at risk, then you are one of the ones that absolutely should be staying home, not leaving. Um, call call a, a neighbor, call a younger member of your family, call somebody that can can bring you groceries, and you're the ones that need to be ducking out and staying avoiding completely. Uh, take those steps if you're in a different demographic age, then, you know, then you can treat it a little bit differently. And those, those are some of the folks that we're talking about the economy reopening for. Um, The biggest thing for me is that it goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, the conversation that was had on March 23rd, when governor Holcomb issued the stay at home order, it was, we need to let people get out in front of the PPE and make sure we're not going to run out of hospital beds, make sure we're not going to run out of ventilators the data is telling us now that that's not going to be the case here. So if that's the situation, then now we do need to be having the conversation about how do we get people back to work? And I know, uh, I know it's a priority for the, for the people in Henry County. Corey Murphy was very vocal last night that there's an initiative uh, in, in Henry County uh, where they're going to very diligently, very carefully uh, start to try to have encourage local businesses to get their plans in place so that you can, um, so that you can actually roll it back out. Uh, but be ready, F- find ways to, to do business and get the doors back open. Cause you've got, you've got to be able to get barbers, nail salons, uh, real estate offices, retail restaurants. stores, restaurants. Everybody has to be able to get back open. Got to start, uh, got to start getting people back to work. And obviously our federal, that the federal program that we're already out of money there, according to the most recent news reports. So it, and you know, I don't, I don't know that I know of any small business owners. Of course, I haven't talked to a lot of them. Um, but I don't, I, I was talking, I did talk to Dave Ring, our friend Dave Ring that owns the downtown farm stand in Muncie, Indiana. And he was saying that, uh, and he, he had, he knows of no one in his uh, small business community that was able to get any of that federal assistance money for their business before it all, before the coffers ran dry. Don't want to throw stones, but, uh, I don't have the highest, highest faith in a program that was put together in a week and a half, uh, allocating funds perfectly appropriately or, or correctly. Uh, so the Newcastle Economic Development Corporation, Corey Murphy, friend of the show, uh, is that they've put together uh, what's called the Not So Fast, Slow, Steady, Safe campaign. 
uh, encouraging businesses to get their um, get their plans in place so that we can so that we can get back and going. Uh, Say that three times fast, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Uh, they're all working from home in their underwear. They don't, they don't have time to farm it out to your fancy, fancy workshops, Dakota. They're trying to get people back to work. It's, um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I don't, we've never faced anything like this as a society before. Um, so this is a massive learning curve. Um, I know if you listen to people like Michael Osterholm, who is um, an infectious disease expert from the University of Minnesota, he he just keeps saying, uh, you know, China's not going to do anything about their wet markets, and this is going to uh, be a continuous problem throughout the 21st century. So if you believe that, then, you know, the silver lining to all this is, is that maybe, maybe we can learn from a lot of these experiences uh, so that it doesn't hit as hard next time, and we can have plans in place to uh, to to make it to where we're not shutting down entire portions of the U.S. economy and making twenty million Americans jobless overnight. It's as we're kind of wrapping up here. It, it's crazy. I remember the bird flu to an extent, which was a pandemic in two thousand. I think it was two thousand nine. Uh, and the biggest legacy to that is I've still got a bottle of hand sanitizer on my desk, and I've always had it for the last ten or eleven years. I've had hand sanitizer at my workspace um, and it's continued. But if you look at the number of dead from that, it I don't remember anywhere near the, maybe it was because social media didn't exist, Dakota, uh, in the way it does now. But, I, you know, there were t- over 10,000 Americans died with, with that. Um, yes, it, the numbers are, are big right now as well, but I, I, think I was, I was kind of floored looking, looking at the number of folks that died at, in that pandemic, uh, that it wasn't a bigger deal. And now I'm looking at, now I'm, I'm looking at social media and the way we're interpreting it. And it's like, a we're all stuck at home. So we sit there online and we look for a story that matches our narrative and says, orange man, bad or orange man, great. And, uh, everybody else is terrible. And he's signing my checks, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just, everybody's mad. And they're looking at somebody to be mad at. That's what one of the like things with it, with the bird flu, though, that makes it a little bit different is that it was a type of the flu. And we had battled, we continually, we continually battled the flu year after year after year. Tens of thousands of Americans die every year from the flu. And we kind of knew the enemy that we were facing with that. With we're this talking, one, we're it talking... took us by surprise. And the, and we are humans and therefore we are afraid of the unknown. And swine, I think swine flu, not bird flu. Pick, pick the right animal. Yeah. H1N1 is what you're talking about. We, yes. we know what, we know what it is, which I got vaccinated for this year. Uh, whenever I got my flu shot, she told me it was the H1N1 strain I was being vaccinated for. So, yeah. In the United States in 2009, I'm, uh, I'm wildly looking for the number here. Um, 12,000 deaths in the United States due to H1N1, the swine flu, including in Indiana, 39, 782 cases. So we're, we're right there. We're very close it's at this point, And we're not, obviously we're not through it. You don't want to line them up exactly, but it's the closest thing that we have uh, in, in our lifetimes to compare to, I think. And 
nowhere near the 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 public sentiment or the way we the way we viewed it in 2009 was nowhere close to as seriously as we've taken as we've taken uh covid-19. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we need to we need to put a pin in it. I know you've got uh, you got to go out there and be a first responder hero and get up at three o'clock in the morning tomorrow. So we need to we need to wrap this up. Is there anything else we need to cover for you? Um. Well, so actually, yes. Um, one of my final thoughts um, was I want to know, and we can make a poll about this. We can. I, I want to know if um, if our listeners the people who listen to this show, if they prefer us to um, just cover the stories as they come out week by week, like uh, much like we did tonight, or if they prefer to hear our opinions and um, the way that we feel about things um, more than just reporting facts. I, I'm interested to see what, what people think on, uh, on that spectrum. So I can we can set out a poll on the Boss Hug Liberty page. We also have um, we have always got that survey that's up, um, and in the notes section of the Boss Hog page, and you can find it there. But uh, I, the polls on Facebook seem to get a lot more reach than having someone sit and go through a twenty minute survey. <laughs> Wonder why? Yeah, I don't know. It's like our attention span's not that great, or maybe we just don't have time to sit and tell a podcast what we do for a living. <laughs> all right um i i think now's the time for people to get feedback you're sitting at home you're at home you're telling people you're 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 dealing with the decisions that politicians are making um so right now you can't i don't think it's practical to go show up at a protest uh and i don't know that a protest is going to be well enough organized at this point to really to really be effective I think that if you're happy with the way things are uh, in the way that things are being run, you really need to write your executives, the decision makers. So whether it's your county commissioners, your, your mayor, uh, your governor, even your Congress people, your president, let them know, send them feedback and say, yes, you're doing a great job or no, I want you to do better. I think that you can make this tweak, that tweak. Governor Holcomb has tried to be very transparent and he's had daily press conferences saying, here's what we're doing in Indiana right now. And they've been, I feel like what Governor Holcomb has done personally more than what the county commissioners did, where they put their ordinance in and they, made, they did it for two months. At least Governor Holcomb has said, hey, we're going to do something for a week or two and then we're going to make a change and we're going to consider uh, making things more severe or trying to loosen the reins a little bit. Um, I, I wrote the governor today uh, talking about one of the issues I care about. We've talked about parks a number of times today. I said, hey, I think you've got a way to reopen campgrounds and get people back out um, in May, June, July. Uh, it's, it's funding for the campgrounds, but it's also a great way for people to social distance. And I think there are ways to achieve that. Uh, so I actually probably got about 40 to 50 people uh, in, a, uh, in a camping, uh, camping group uh, to, to weigh in and write the governor today themselves as well. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, we're kind of expecting, expecting something to happen. Uh, the governor's going to make an announcement tomorrow for the stay-at-home order. It expires on April 20th, which is only four days away. Uh, so we're going to hear something uh, in, I think, some of the finer points of policy. If you want, if, you know, if you think, hey, you know what, we need to stop having this fight about golf courses in Indiana, 
and we want the government to just shut them down from the state level and tell the governor that and have them take the, take the burden off the county commissioners. If you want to say, hey, Mr. Governor, we need to open up barbershops, tattoo salons, and, and, uh, and nail salons, and pe- you know, pedicures, whatever else, spas. We need to find a way to get those back open because we've got PPE for those folks to have it. Then, then write the governor, write his office, and say, you need to make these tweaks because it's going to bring this many people back to work, and you're going to provide services to people, and quality of life is going to go up. They don't have an easy job, but in a vacuum, they're just making the best decisions they can. If they start to hear from individuals who are making valid points and reasonable points, then, then you're going to get a lot further. So that's, that's where I'm at. Uh, appreciate everybody sticking with us today. Big show. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm going to guess I'm going to be in studio next week, probably by zoom. But if Dakota gets a little, uh, you know, if we feel a little bit more free, maybe we'll be back in person. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I think I'm going to be back in the studio next week. Change it up a little bit. I'm tired of seeing this office that I work out of nowadays. With that, we will, uh, we'll say thank you guys very much. We're going to stop the live stream. I'm going to stop the recording and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Boss Hog of Liberty, which is part of the We Are Libertarians network. I am Chris Spangle, and I am the founder of this network, and I invite you to listen to all of our shows, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com or by searching for these in your podcatcher. The flagship show is the We Are Libertarians podcast, where we apply libertarian principles to current events. The Brian Nichols Show is a conversation amongst Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, as they talk about what is happening in the news. And we have many other podcasts like The Chris Spangle Show, Upward, The Cost, Raw Audio Politics, Miranda's World, and Tad Talk, which is quite a ride. So check all of these out. Go to WeAreLibertarians.com and you can check out all of our great podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at WeAreLibertarians.com.